Um, and we haven't tested the sound system, and I hear some feedback. Um, for those of you who are watching us on TV, welcome. And if you're listening on the internet, likewise. And uh, just so you'll know, uh, my sound is too distorted through a mask, and there is nobody within 10 feet, of, 12 feet of a straight shout of, shot of my mouth, so I'm not getting any particles on anyone. Well, here's our call to worship this morning. It's from Psalm 104. Bless Yahweh, O my soul. O Yahweh, my God, thou art very great. Thou art clothed with splendor and majesty, covering thyself with light as with a cloak, stretching out heaven like a tent curtain. He lays the beams of his upper chambers in the waters. He makes clouds his chariot. He walks upon the wings of the wind. He makes the winds his messengers, flaming fire his ministers. He established the earth upon its foundations so that it will not totter forever and ever. Our theme this morning is the majesty and the glory of God and Christ. So let's continue to worship now, singing song number nine, How Majestic is Your Name. Lord, you are indeed glorious and majestic. And we have gathered here this morning to worship you. So we pray now that your spirit would fill this place and fill each and every heart. And may Jesus Christ be glorified not only in our worship, but in how we live our lives each day from this moment forward. We ask in the name of your Son, the Lord and Savior of the earth, Jesus Christ. Amen. And um, now there's really not anything that important by way of announcements other than that we will be putting together the Vestry Voices and mailing it this Tuesday. I know it's the highlight of the month of many of you. Now please take your bulletin inserts. Ah, sounds much clearer. And uh, let us pray our prayer of confession together. And again, this is corporate confession. Lord, you have asked for our hands that you might use them for your purpose. We gave them for a moment, then withdrew them, for the work was hard. You asked for our mouths to speak out against injustice. We gave you only a whisper that we might not be accused. You asked for our eyes to see the pain of poverty. We closed them for we did not want to see. You asked for our lives that you might work through us. We gave you a small part that we might not get too involved. Lord, forgive all our calculated efforts to serve you only when it is convenient to do so, only in those places where it is safe to do so, and only with those who make it easy for us to do so. Father, forgive us, renew us, and send us out as usable instruments that we might take seriously the meaning of your cross 
Amen. And again, 1 John 1, 9 is so appropriate here. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive our sins, and more importantly, God's always above and beyond. Forgive our sins and um, cleanse us of all unrighteousness or purify us to do that which is righteous and good. Amen. And now let's continue to worship the Lord in song, singing, Tis So Sweet to Trust in Jesus, 308, and number 314, Tush, what? Oh, okay, so let's do uh, Tis So Sweet. That's the one we want to do. That's the awesome uh, Gaither song. What number is it? Uh, I'll open up in the back. My bad. Um, tis H I. Wow, imagine that. Oh, 358. 358. I missed a five. Amen. Um, just to uh, clarify something, that first song, Tis So Sweet to Trust in Jesus. I forgot when I was first saved 40 years ago, I used to like to watch uh, Barbara Mandrell on TV, and she's the one that introduced me to that song. She could do it real good. Okay, now for our scripture reading. The scripture reading this morning is Philippians 1, verses 19 to 26. For I know that this shall turn out for my deliverance through your prayers and the provision of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, according to my earnest expectation and hope, according to my earnest... Oh, it's repeated twice that I shall not be put to shame in anything, but that with all boldness, Christ shall even now, as always, be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. But if I am to live on in the flesh, this will mean fruitful labor for me, and I do not know which to choose. But I am hard pressed from both directions, having the desire to depart and be with Christ, for that is very much better. Yet to remain on in the flesh is more necessary for your sake. And convinced of this, I know that I shall remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith, so that your proud confidence in me may abound in Christ Jesus through my coming to you again. Amen. And now um, take your songbooks again and in the back, Turn to number 626, and we are going to recite together the Nicene Creed. The Council of Nicaea in the early 4th century was a very important church council. We believe in one God, the Father, the Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, of all that is seen and unseen. We believe in one Lord, Jesus Christ, the only Son of God, eternally begotten of the Father, God from God, light from light, true God from true God, begotten, not made, of one being with the Father. Through him all things were made, for us and for our salvation, he came down from heaven by the power of the Holy Spirit, 
he became incarnate from the Virgin Mary and was made man. For our sake, he was crucified under Pontius Pilate. He suffered death and was buried. And on the third day, he rose again in accordance with the scriptures. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again in glory to judge the living and the dead, and his kingdom will have no end. We believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord, the giver of life who proceeds from the Father and the Son. With the Father and the Son, he is to be worshipped and glorified. He has spoken through the prophets. We believe in one holy, catholic, and apostolic church. We acknowledge one baptism for the forgiveness of sins. We look for the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. Amen and amen. And now, let us go to God together in prayer. Majestic, three-in-one God, thank you for the mystery of your Son being made a human man through the Holy Spirit and a young virgin woman. Thank you for all he taught about you and what he accomplished for and in people for your glory. May we always boast in you and in him, and please help us to progress and grow in the faith of his gospel, doing your will first and always, whatever our personal desires may be. And Father, we have been given an unprecedented, at least for over 50 years, opportunity to share the hope we have because of the relationship you have given us in your Son. And we should both know and act upon the love we have received from you, your strong, life-giving, life-changing and transforming love, so that knowing we are forgiven and reconciled through his death and resurrection, we have no fear of anything, even a COVID-19 virus. And we know that we can have hope and joy in all the sufferings that come to us along with all people on this earth and in this life. Thank you, Salah. So we ask that as we share what we know and live by with others, that they will respond to the Holy Spirit, to the, whole, to the good news, the Holy Spirit through the good news of Jesus, and that all may cross over from the spiritual death we are all born in to life, full, free of fear, and with ultimate purpose.
and thank you for giving us the reason to live, namely fruitful labor for you. And Father, we pray for our nation. There is so much division right now every which way, but we pray for President Trump and Vice President Pence. We pray for the Senate, and Father, I'm especially impressed by Senator Scott of South Carolina. And we pray for the House of Representatives as well. We pray for our Supreme Court, Father. Um, there have been some decisions lately that haven't been the way we think are consistent with life and your word, but it is the Supreme Court of our country. We pray for Governor Baker and Lieutenant Governor Polito. We pray uh, for our state legislature, including Harold Naughton, who's still serving in the SRF. We pray for our state courts. We pray for police, fire, and EMT. We pray uh, for all medical personnel. And we pray very much for all the struggling small business owners and over 10 million people who are newly unemployed. Father, we pray for the world. Your heart is for all people of all nations to know you. John saw this in the vision you gave him, people of every nation praising you around your throne. And Father, uh, we pray for our brothers and sisters in our cell in Christ's body, uh, past and present members and future whom we don't even know yet. Father, we pray for our brothers and sisters in Christ around the world, especially so many who are undergoing persecution. We have no idea what it's like in this country. And Father, we pray for your word, your word in our hearts. And may we be permanently changed as a result of hearing your word. Father, help me in the preaching and explaining and applying of it. And may this change that you do in us bring you glory. And now, Father, because our human words of prayer just get exhausted, we need the spirit to help us to pray, but we can pray the prayer the model prayer that says everything that Jesus left for his followers. So with one heart and one voice, we pray, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Now let's sing number four, Majesty. Amen, and you may be seated. Um, that song was uh, written by Jack Hayford, who's uh, one of my heroes as far as being a, a preacher and a pastor goes. Jesus, the Savior, is magnificent. He is glorious beyond all human comprehension. And in our secular, materialistic world, this may be why so 
you people know him. In the words of an epic Jethro Tull album from 1972, and one of my Jesus freak friends was always quoting this to me, we will be geared to the ordinary rather than the exceptional. In other words, we have become a very pragmatic people. And the only thing we seem to care about is does it work for me and can I get what I want in this world, in this life, right here, right now, and who cares about anything else? But this was not true and not so of the Apostle Paul in the first century church of Jesus Christ. In fact, um, for Paul, well, let's back up a little bit. The twelve, on the very day he rose from the dead, had seen the resurrected king of kings. And then a few years later, Saul, who despised everything about Jesus, was on the road to Damascus, and he saw the glorified, resurrected king of kings, and it totally transformed his life. And as a result of this encounter, all of Paul's life was focused on one person and one task. First of all, his relationship. He was in Christ, and Christ was in him. And this relationship with the exalted, glorified, majestic Jesus Christ, his whole life was focused on him, and it was his one and only passion. And he had been told in this meeting that his mission was to testify to all he knew about Jesus Christ, to the people of all of the nations. And in this way, Paul participated in the fulfillment of what had been spoken through the prophet Isaiah 700 years before this. Now, Paul had planted the church in Philippi. We went through Acts a few years ago. Acts 16, what happened? It started from four things. A prayer meeting led by Lydia. And then there was a miracle that happened with a slave girl. And as a result, Paul was imprisoned. And he suffered some mild persecution there. But there was a second miracle as he was sprung from this prison. All of these things were involved in the planting of this church. And in the planting of this church, Jesus was truly glorified and magnified in these miracles and in all that happened and how Paul and Silas were able to sing even when they were beaten within an inch of their life. Now we can fast forward 10 years to the passage that we're looking at this morning. And um, at this time, Paul was in prison in Rome. Now, it was not maybe a jail, but he was chained to soldiers 24-7 in this apartment that he had gotten enough money from the Philippians and other Christians in order to live there. And he could be executed at any moment. 
Nero was the emperor at this time. It was about 60 AD, and he was beginning to persecute Christians. It wasn't as bad as it would get. Indeed, Paul was released, but seven years later, he was beheaded by Nero. So, um, here we are, and he is saying, this imprisonment, I am sure that I will be released to continue fruitful labor or ministry for Jesus Christ. Now, his preference actually was to be executed. Why was that? He knew Christ so well, he desired more than anything else to be face-to-face -face with Jesus Christ. But he knew that it was God's will that he remain alive on this earth for the progress and for the joy of this church that he had planted in Philippi that was partnering with him in the gospel mission. So now let's look at this passage in order to understand Paul's reasoning. And why do we do this? Because even as Paul was writing this to his beloved church, he was implying to them that my attitude should be your attitude. And it wasn't just for the first century. It's for us here and now today in the 21st century. It's to be an example to all Christians until Christ comes back. So this passage is in three parts. First of all, he knows his troubles will lead to salvation. And the word for salvation is used. It can also mean some other things. I'll get to that in a minute. And Christ will be exalted in him. I mean, imagine that. That God would take on flesh and blood and now he can be exalted in flesh and blood. Ordinary people like us. And he says, I know this will turn to me for salvation. Now I looked it up. I have in Bible software an English translation of the Greek translation that everybody used in Paul's days. And he is quoting Job directly, word for word, from chapter 13, when all of his friends were not being so friendly and accusing him of suffering because he was a sinner. And he says, I know this will turn out for my salvation. And then later he said, and God will vindicate me in my righteousness. And so Paul is making this allusion, and he knows he will be set free. And why? This salvation will be through your prayers and the supply of the Spirit of Jesus Christ. So prayer in the Holy Spirit. Paul knows that the church in Philippi is praying for him with the supply or the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ. And we need to understand this. All God-inspired prayer is effective. You know, it took me two decades to learn this as a follower of Jesus Christ. Prayers that arise from me probably won't be answered because my will is not God's will. But God-inspired prayer, as this is, it would be answered. And notice they're praying a Trinitarian prayer. They are praying to the Father, through the Spirit, the Spirit of Jesus Christ, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So, this is according to my, I love this word, looking forward hope. 
I mean, think about it. We don't hope for something that we already have now. Hope is always looking forward. This is the joy of followers of Jesus. And he says, and I will not be put to shame, but Christ will be exalted in this body through life or death. So the first statement is, in no way will I be put to shame. And this reminded me of that passage in Isaiah. And I think there's a, a chorus, I lay in Zion, a cornerstone. He that believeth shall not be put to shame. What he's saying is, I know that through the help of the Holy Spirit, my faith will not waver. One iota, God will enable me to stay faithful and do my mission, and I will not be shamed. And I've given you many references on this. But he says, in all boldness, as always, even now, Christ shall be exalted in my body, whether through life or through death. This is powerful. Now, this boldness, I looked up this word. I did a word study. When there were about 5,000 members in the church, John and Peter were boldly proclaiming the gospel. They were apprehended by the Sanhedrin. They were kept in a Jewish prison for a while, but when they were released, they went back, and all the believers got together and they prayed they would be enabled to speak God's word with boldness, and we're told the very place, the room where they were praying, it was shaken, and they were filled with the Holy Spirit, and they went back out into the courts of the temple and proclaimed the word of the gospel of Christ boldly, boldly. And then what was it? He says, um, I know Christ will be exalted in my body as I continue to boldly proclaim him. Again, this is an amazing thing. God glorified in humans, and God is exalted. Let's remember that. He is exalted so he can exalt us. Mary exalted the Lord after Gabriel told her she would conceive God's Son by the Holy Spirit. Cornelius' friends and relatives exalted the Lord after the Holy Spirit fell on them when they responded to the preaching of Peter. And then this is really amazing in Ephesus. And remember when we were in Acts, uh, the seven sons of Sceva were blaspheming Jesus, and they were beaten within an inch of their life, and then all the believers exalted God because this is a powerful God. You don't mess with him. You follow him or not. So um, this is the first time now he says, this will all happen. Even if I die, Christ will be exalted in me, whether in life or death. This is his first of three references of life and death. But he's looking forward to Christ being exalted in him. Really, all people that know they're saved and forgiven do look forward to Christ being exalted in them. And he will be exalted in us if we boldly do his will. Secondly, he's already mentioned life and death, and now Paul elaborates on each from his perspective, but he understands what God's will is. So, and here's a verse that probably many of us have memorized, and I've seen it applied in my many years of following Jesus. 
he says that um, life means fruitful labor to me in Christ and death is future gain. Or literally, he says, because to me, I know. Christ, the life, death, the gain. So he's emphatically saying this is his attitude. However, again, because um, he and the church are in such close fellowship, he wants that to be their attitude too. And this is the second mention of it. Now, all, all who are in Christ and have Christ in them, have him, just like Paul, as the single and only focus of their lives by faith. And they know their lives now are fully about Christ. And this is challenging to me. I mean, how many of us have Paul's single-mindedness? But if this is how we are living our lives, then we know whatever we may be doing, and even when our life leads to the suffering that Jesus promised and Paul said would be part of our lives, when we're over, when our life is over, we will be face to face with Jesus Christ and never suffer again. The next to last chapter of the Bible. And let me say this, no physical healing in this life is permanent. And only for the believer, our final healing is when we see Christ face to face. And in the very last chapter of the Bible, it says, all will be healed by the tree of life. So Paul goes on to say that if to live in the flesh, in this body means fruitful labor to me. I'm not knowing what I will choose. So first of all, he's saying that what Jesus said about abiding in him bearing fruit. Remember in John 15, he says, abide in me. And if you abide in me, you will bear fruit and much fruit, and this fruit will remain. That's God's will for all followers of Jesus Christ. And again, it should even be for us. So we have to ask ourselves as a church, what fruit are we bearing? And then Paul knows what God's will is for him. It is that he continue to live. And he fully accepts God's will, and he's going to do God's will. So all this talk about choice is purely personal. Again, this is a church he can trust, that he knows, and they know him. And maybe this personal reflection, maybe he meant it to encourage those believers in Philippi who may not be as fully surrendered to accept God's will for their lives as he is. I know I'm not as fully surrendered as I should be, so Paul can be an encouragement to me. And then he says, if it were his choice, and now he's reversing the order, he said he will live, he says, my choice would be to die and be with Christ, but to remain alive with his brothers in Philippi, that benefits everybody. Again, because Christ was the consuming passion of his life, 
He wants to be in his presence now. But to remain, to remain in the flesh, in his body, this is necessary on your behalf. So again, it's all about God and Jesus Christ. God desires that Paul continue in fruitful labor in order to proclaim the gospel of Christ with the brothers in Philippi. And again, this one and only passion of Paul since he met Jesus on that road that overrides his personal desires. So he concludes this third personal reflection on both life and death by choosing fruitful life now in Christ. In Christ. He's choosing what God has chosen for him. And because Jesus Christ is everything to Paul, he's accepting God's will and we'll see it in the third part. He is convinced that they will make progress in the faith. So they glory. They glory in Christ because of his ministry that will happen, has happened now and will happen. He says, so convinced of what God's will is, I have no choice, and therefore I will stay alive and remain with you all. And he you adds that word all for your progress and joy in the faith. So he's using two similar words here. Um, literally, they are remain and with remain. I guess I will do the Greek, meno and paramano, okay? And what he's meaning by this is um, God has a purpose for me and all of you, and that's your progress in the faith. So I will continue to live. I'll remain on this earth, and I will with remain. While I'm remaining on this earth, one of God's goals for me is to build you up to be all that God wants you to be. So they are going to progress in the faith of the gospel. And we'll see this next week in verse 27. And just in chapter 2, this growth in the gospel will include their love for one another increasing, their humility to be putting others first, and to continue to work out their salvation in Christ Jesus with fear and trembling because he's an awesome magnificent God, but also the result of this growth and progress in faith is joy. So up to this point, we've had some commands. We may have squirmed a little bit. We know it's hard, but here's something we need to understand. When we faithfully obey God, that will always produce so um, joy is one of the themes of this letter. The other theme is unity in Christ and with Christ. Uh, and this joy is to be for all churches, including even our church. So let us encourage one another to progress in joy in the faith. And the faith is to do the great commission with Jesus helping us. And then he says, so your boasting may abound in Christ through my visiting you again. 
So again, I'm using a literal translation of what Paul actually wrote, so that the boast of you, all of you, may abound in Christ Jesus. And what's he using here? He's using the noun form of a verb that Jeremiah used five times in Jeremiah 9, 23, and 24. And if you have a bulletin, I put it on the back. But I'm going to read to you a translation of the Greek. Thus says Yahweh, let not the wise man boast in his wisdom. Let not the strong man boast in his strength. And let not the rich man boast in his wealth. But let him who boasts, boast in this, the understanding and knowledge, the understanding and knowledge that I am Yahweh, the three-in-one God who exercises, who does mercy, judgment, and righteousness. And that's all summed up in the cross of Christ upon the earth, for in these things is my pleasure. So as always for Paul, Christ is deserving of abundant boasting. Boasting in who God is and what God does. And this will happen through my coming again to be with you all, through my visiting you. When he comes, he will both encourage and exhort them in Christ, in all that Christ is, his person, and all that he has done specifically on the cross and in his resurrection, so that they will progress in the faith with joy. And let us encourage one another to progress and to faith. Now, I'm just going to take um, two scriptures each for the two main things that pertain to Paul in this passage, fruitful labor and progress in gospel faith. When it comes to fruitful labor, in Matthew's gospel, Jesus said to the 12, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. So pray the Lord of the harvest to send workers. We have work and labor to do people. There's so many people who do not know Jesus Christ. And then we get teamwork uh, from Paul and Apollos and God. When he was writing to the Corinthians, and there was division there. There's division always in the world. There's division in our country now. There was division in the first century church. But he said, Apollos and I both have our own task to do for God. One planted, another watered. God makes it grow. We are fellow laborers in God. What is he talking about here? Something our nation seems to have lost, even the church seems to have lost. Teamwork is so important. And everybody has a different role. And we need to accept our role and exalt in the role of other people. But this is our labor. We have our own task, but we work together as a team so all may know Jesus Christ. And then secondly, the progress in the faith. So Paul again wrote in a second letter to the churches in Corinth that we are being transformed into the same image of the Lord. The Lord, the Spirit, again the Trinity. So what's going on here? 
we must all progress together in Christ's likeness. None of us will ever be alone or individually just like Jesus Christ. I'm going to throw in, we're not anywhere near 11.30, something I learned once on a Wednesday night Bible study. Everybody has a spiritual gift, at least, if we are in Jesus Christ. But nobody has more than two or three spiritual gifts. So when we are alone with somebody else, they only see a little bit of Jesus Christ. But when the whole church is gathered together and everyone is acting in their gift and someone walks in, that person in the body sees all of who Jesus Christ is. That's why we need to be encouraging and exhorting one another on to Christ's likeness. None of us will be fully like Jesus Christ, but all of us together should be. That's God's will for us. That's doing the gospel faith and progressing. And then Paul wrote to Timothy in his first time in jail, many years before he died, who was the bishop in Ephesus. He says, you as the leader of all the churches in Ephesus, you must be persevering in the spiritual gifts you were given so that all of the brothers will see your progress and together you'll all be saved. Again, leaders are to inculcate and cultivate within the body these gifts and that leads to salvation and now we've come all the way back to the first thing Paul said, I know this will lead to my deliverance and continuing to live here on this earth. So what do we learn from this passage? We need to encourage one another to progress and joy in the faith, the faith of the gospel of Jesus Christ. So to wrap it up, Paul tells his partners in the gospel, in Philippi, that their prayers will result in his continuing in fruitful gospel ministry with them, and they will progress together. They will progress under his ministry in the faith of the gospel to fulfill our purpose, which is the Great Commission to bear much fruit, and the result will be Christ will be exalted and they will have even more joy. Let us grow in the progress and joy of the faith of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I was thinking this morning when I got up that the exclamation point on our salvation was when Jesus rose from the dead. And now as we said in the creed, he lives forever at the right hand of the Father having given us his holy Spirit. And because he lives, we can face all the difficulties of this world and we can do our purpose. We can fulfill his mission. So let's sing for our last song, 275, Because He Lived. <clears throat> Let me close with these words from Jesus in the upper room. Just as the Father has loved me, I have also loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. Just as I kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. 
These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, your joy may be made full. This is my commandment, that you love one another just as I have loved you. Let me just elaborate on that a bit. That goes way above and beyond Leviticus 19.18, where it says, love other people with the same self-love that you're presumed to have. We all love ourselves. But that does not go far enough. When Jesus says, love one another as I have loved you, how did he love us? He was willing to die for us. So what Jesus is saying within the church, we must love one another to be willing to lay down our lives for each other. That's above and beyond. That is the true new commandment, the third great commandment. Love God with everything. Love your brothers and sisters sacrificially. Oh, yeah, and love the world enough to tell them what you know about Jesus Christ and what you have in him. Amen.